Before I start, one quick thing I forgot to mention. Uh, Kate and I are traveling this week uh, to Birmingham, Alabama. Our denomination has its annual uh, business meeting. Uh, and so uh, we would appreciate your prayers for that. There will be pastors and elders and other leaders from all over the country in Birmingham this year. Uh, and I'm actually with three, uh, three dear women uh, going to be co-presenting a seminar on cultural intelligence in the church. Uh, so would, I would love your prayers both for, for me but, and for Kate, but also please be uh, praying for, uh, we call it General Assembly, or GA for short. So please be praying for the General Assembly. Uh, and um, I had so much to say for this sermon that I'm not going to talk about Isaac and Ishmael. So I know we read it. It's just not going to happen. I'm not even going to try. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful to you that we get to come again uh, and continue walking with uh, Abraham and Sarah now uh, in the story of what you're doing and what it means for us to walk by faith. And so, Lord, we ask that now as we, uh, as we spend time looking at uh, chapter 17 again, that you would give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear how much you love us uh, in the midst of the waiting that we often experience in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So uh, it's really easy when we're reading the, the Old Testament narratives to forget or not to really stop and, and kind of take in the fact that uh, years are happening. Uh, you know, you can read Genesis 12 to 17 in probably less than 30 minutes. Uh, 25 years, 24 years to be exact, 24 years elapse in between Genesis 12 and Genesis 17. So just like point of reference, right? Bill Clinton was president 24 years ago. Some of you weren't born 24 years ago. Some of us, that's over half of our lifespan. Um, to make it really sobering, gas was 91 cents. That was the national average for gas. And I looked this up. You can find anything on Google. The medium... Do you want, this is depressing. The medium uh, uh, home price for San Diego County, it was, a, it was a crazy market. It was the highest that they had seen in November of two, uh, uh, 1998. $207,000 was the medium price for a house, if only. Um, so a lot happens in 24 years. Uh, and that's how long Abram and Sarai have been waiting for this promise that was given to them that they would have a child. Can you imagine waiting for 24 years for God to deliver, to make good on a promise? Some of us, that's not a hard thing to imagine, right? We, we've gone to the Lord repeatedly. We've prayed for a desire of our heart. We've prayed for, uh, for God to grant something or for God to take away something or for God to fix a particular situation. And so for us, uh, we, can, we can immediately resonate with Abram and Sarah, uh, Abraham and Sarah as they, as they have been in this moment. And so we realize uh, today that uh, walking by faith, which has been kind of the theme we've been trying to explore as we look at the Abraham story, walking by faith often means waiting by faith. 
Right? Walking by faith often means waiting for the Lord to deliver and make good on his promises. And the, and the, and, and the scripture speaks to us about this, in fact. Uh, we read in, in 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9, that um, God does not, says, uh, Peter says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Scripture wants us to know that God is aware of the tension that we feel in the waiting. Uh, scripture wants us to know that God is aware of that and, and that God's slowness or speediness in answering the prayers and the desires of our heart does not waver, even though it might feel like a really long time for us. Uh, so what, what I want us to consider today as we continue looking at the life of Abraham is that God Almighty calls us to embrace him as we wait on him. And we're going to do two things. This sermon originally had four points. There's so much that's got condensed down to two. Um, all right, so what we're going to do first of all is we're going to see that God gives Abraham and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah a revelation to believe. And then secondly, we're going to see that he gives them an identity to embrace. Uh, and that's the same. We get the same revelation and we get the same identity for us today. Uh, so uh, if you have a Bible open uh, and you're the kind of person that likes to write in your Bible, this is a, a write in your Bible type of moment. But before that, kids. Uh, so do you know what your name means? Okay. Uh, your, uh, your, your parents more than likely, they, they, parents pick names for one of two reasons, right? They either like the sound of the name or the meaning of the name or there's a family connection or maybe, just maybe, it's kind of both. That's like the, the mega jackpot of naming. Uh, so uh, my name means in Arabic, so my name comes from like Arabic and Hebrew. My name in Arabic means flourishing and my name in Hebrew I just found this out. I didn't know this. My name in Hebrew, according to Google, means eloquent speaker, which is kind of, you know, if you're a preacher and uh, you're going to have a name, eloquent speaker is not a bad name as far as names go. Um, so, so names in the Bible have, uh, can have really important and significant meaning uh, for what we're trying to understand. And here in this particular passage, God gives us a new name for himself. In fact, this is the first time in Scripture that we are introduced to the name El Shaddai. Okay, it's the name El Shaddai. Some of you, uh, you know, children of the 80s, will immediately have song lyrics in your head to that, uh, to that, to that song. Uh, I won't sing it for you. All right, so the name El Shaddai appears 48 times uh, in the Old Testament. It's primarily found in the book of Job. And what's interesting about the name El Shaddai is that the name uh, is generally, usually translated as God Almighty. So El is the Hebrew word for God, and Shaddai is the Hebrew word for Almighty. Uh, some have suggested that instead of the word being translated Almighty, it's better to translate the word as the, the sufficient one, the one who, who gives everything, the one who provides. Uh, what's interesting is that this word is so old that the people, you know, there are, there are men and women who dedicate their academic endeavors to studying the meanings of these words. Uh, and, and so biblical scholars, Old Testament Hebrew scholars, 
uh, can't, can't come to quite consensus on what the word means. But one person, uh, one individual, a guy by the name of Gordon Wenham, uh, has summarized it like this, and I thought, oh, that's beautiful and perfect for what we're looking to do this morning. Shaddai evokes the idea that God is able to make the barren fertile and to fulfill his promise. Uh, and so what we see here is that God is revealing himself as El Shaddai, and when he reveals himself as El Shaddai, he's revealing himself as the one who can make good on his promises. Right? That this is the new name that he wants Abraham and Sarah, when they, when they think of him, he wants them to see this name in connection to that. What's interesting, what's really fascinating about this is that then this name shows up a number of other times specifically in connection with the promises that God makes to Abram and Sarah. So, for example, in Genesis 28, verse 3, we see Isaac speaking to Jacob. So, so these names may not mean anything to you, right? So, Abraham, that's who we've been talking about. Abraham has a son through Sarah. We read about him in the second half of the reading. His name is Isaac. Isaac has a son. He's got two sons. Uh, and the son that carries the promise forward is Jacob, Okay? Um, and so then Jacob has 12 sons, and one of the 12 sons is Joseph. You got those names? All right, so now, uh, in Genesis 28, Isaac is speaking to Jacob, and he says, May God Almighty, may El Shaddai bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers. Almost identical language to Genesis 17. Then in Genesis 35, God shows up, uh, and he here is speaking to Jacob, this is, if you're familiar with the story of Jacob, this is the vision with the angels and Jacob wrestling with, uh, with, with the Lord. And, and he says, God said to him, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Be fruitful, increase in number. And then finally in Genesis 48, Jacob is talking to Joseph towards the end of his life. And he is saying to him, thinking back on Genesis 35, uh, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me. Uh, so we have four instances in the book of Genesis where God presents himself as El Shaddai, and in all four instances, the, the connection is immediately made to the fact that God makes promises and keeps promises. I am, God is in effect telling Abraham, I am El Shaddai. I am the God who keeps promises. I am the one who's going to make barren Sarai into fruitful Sarah. I'm, going to, I'm the one who is going to keep all of these promises so that your descendants will be too numerous to count. Now, what does that have to do with us today? Uh, what that has to do with us today is that the, the God who make, El Shaddai, who makes promises to Abraham, makes promises to you and me. And he does not change. He does not change. Amen. Right? And so, and so uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse uh, 20, we read this. It says, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, so that through him the amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. What Paul is saying here is that all of the promises that were made in the Old Testament, all of the promises that God made that spoke to the things that he was eventually going to do, all of them find their yes, all of them find their fulfillment in the person of Jesus. 
And by implication of that, then all the promises that continue for you and me as those who live on the other side of the cross, all of those promises flow out of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. Uh, And so the, the challenge for us here, this is really important, the challenge for us is that it can be really tempting for us to take desires that we have, strong, deep desires that we have, and unintentionally, or maybe sometimes intentionally, to, to shift those over and view those as things that Yahweh owes us. Uh, and so what ends up happening is we take desires and we make them promises. Uh, and the way to, to fight against that, the way to work against that, the way to disciple our hearts away from that tendency is to be rooted in Scripture and understand the promises that God provides for his people in Scripture. There are a lot of them, right? God promises that he's going to send his Holy Spirit to remind you of everything that he taught us through Jesus. God promises that the same Holy Spirit is going to take your prayers and he's going to, he's going to take them up to heaven when, they, when your faith is weak. God promises that Jesus is going to come back. He promises that he will never leave you or forsake you. He promises that he will be with you in temptation, right? It goes on and on and on and on and on. Now, there are all these promises and all these promises find their yes in Jesus. But of course, the challenge is, it's one thing to, you know, it's one thing to see that in the Bible. It's one thing to hear the preacher talk about that on Sunday. But it's another thing to actually, like, live that out uh, throughout the course of our weeks, right? Uh, one of the songs we're going to, we're going to introduce you guys to a new song this afternoon, this morning. You can sing it this afternoon if you want, but we won't be here. One of the songs we're going to introduce you to this morning is a song called Heal Us Emmanuel. It's a beautiful song. Uh, and, and this is the first verse of the song. Our faith is feeble, we confess. We faintly trust thy word. But will you pity us the less? Be that far from you, Lord. And then the, the hymn uh, goes on to talk about different examples of people who had weak faith and how in the midst of that we cry, heal us, Emmanuel, here we are. Um, and, and so Abram's faith is weak. I mean, we've seen how feeble it is. Right? Even at the end, we're not going to really look at it, but even after God says, you and Sarah are going to have a son, he says, what about Ishmael? <laughs> just, let's just do this through Ishmael. Um, and, and so we, we can recognize the feebleness of our faith, and yet in the feebleness of our faith, God remains constant. And what's fascinating about Abraham, what I really love about, um, you know, I've, I've preached through these passages before, I've taught through these passages before, and what's really jumping out of me, what God is just like, I'm seeing with new eyes that I hadn't seen before, is in the midst of Abraham's struggles is this constant return to worship. You see it in verse 3. You see it in verse 17. It says that Abram fell down on his face. Or Abram is, is responding to the Lord in worship. Um, and, and as I've been thinking through that, I was like, you know, it seems that that Abraham's response of worship is really a vital component of this walking by faith thing that we're exploring. That, that, that um, as he is continually coming back to the Lord in worship, that that's a part of the way in which he is putting his hope in God. That's part of the way in which he's trusting in God and, and being able to continue to follow God and, and walk by faith and wait by faith 
as feeble as that is, right? That's good because we, we see Abraham's feebleness and that is comforting to us because we look at our own hearts and we know like, yeah, like that's sometimes waiting on the Lord is really difficult. In the book of Hebrews, uh, we read this. He, uh, the author of Hebrews says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For, listen, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we might spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, some in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. There's like so much in those few verses. But let me, let me just kind of connect two points for us, right? The author of Hebrews is connecting for us the importance of holding on to the promises of God and being a part of a community of people that worship. Now, I know that some of us are here this morning and, and we're not Christians, we're exploring Christianity, we have questions about Christianity. And so it may not even be altogether clear, what is it you people are doing here right now? Like, what is actually going on? And there's a mysterious element to, to worship, to be sure. I know that some of us, is, is, can be really tempting for some of us. Uh, and I'm saying us because I'm, 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 I'm in this with you, right? It can be really tempting for us. We know that worship is good. We know that worship is important, but it can be really easy to be swayed and say, well, like, well I'm just going to skip out this week because this other great thing is happening. Um, and, and not to say that it's not wrong to miss church, for, uh, that it's wrong to miss church from time to time, but that the orientation of the heart is one that, yeah, it's important, but if something more important comes along, I'm going to skip out. Um, and, and there could be any number of other questions or doubts or, or issues that we bring, uh, reservations that we have when it comes to what it is that we do here, right? What it is that we do every Sunday morning. Um, and, and so Abraham is showing us, like, this is, the, this is the continual response of the people of God. It's to come back to him in worship. It's to prioritize that in ways that, that, that really, like, this is the central piece of what it means to follow God, a central piece of what it means to follow God as a community. All right, so that's the revelation of God, right? This is who he presents himself as. I am El Shaddai. I am the one who provides for you, and Abraham responds in worship. Next, we see an identity that Abraham has to embrace. Uh, Genesis 17, as for me, this is my covenant with you. Uh, you will be a father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, you will be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations and kings come from you. We'll stop there. And then in chapter, in verse 15, God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name is Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations, kings of people, will come from her. Abraham fell face down and laughed to himself. Uh, kids, what you notice here is that God just changes both of their names. And we're going to talk about the significance of those names uh, being changed here in a second. Where can you think of, and you guys can talk about this upstairs, where are other times in the Bible where somebody's name changes? Can everybody think real quick? Give me a couple. Anybody can think of any? Adults, help the kids out. Jacob, Jacob becomes Israel, Saul becomes Paul, Simon uh, or Cephas becomes Peter, 
right? Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fire, right? Those are not there. Those are the Babylonian names. Their Hebrew names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel's Belteshazzar. Uh, Naomi in the book of Ruth, when she is like really, really broken over the fact that her family has all died, she renames herself Mara. Uh, so we see all kinds of name changes happening in the Bible. Now, um, there, some of these are times where God changes a name. So let's think about the times where God changes a name. Why does God change people's names? Now, um, Tim Keller, some of you know, he's a pastor in New York City. Uh, years ago, I read something by him that's super helpful, and so I'm just regurgitating what I read from him at this point. Um, when God changes somebody's name, there are three things that are going on. First of all, God changes a name when he is exercising his authority over a person. All right, so God has the authority as God to change your name. Uh, now, the, the closest kind of parallel that I can think about this uh, in our culture is who has the authority to name a newborn baby, right? It's the parents. The parents, by virtue of their being the parents, have the authority to name that child. Not every culture does it that way, right? Some cultures, uh, it's, a, it's an older relative. Uh, some cultures, it's the traditional norms uh, will, name, will determine what a child's name will be. Uh, and so God here changes. For example, Sarai becomes Sarah. Both names mean the same thing. Both names mean princess. So why does God change her name when the meaning of the name doesn't change? I think it's in part because God wants to clearly communicate to Sarah, you're a part of this deal too. You're in the covenant as well. And he wants to exercise his authority. Second reason that God changes names is because he wants to change the person's identity. Uh, some cultures at baptism, uh, the child or the person is given a name. Years ago when I was the pastor of a church in West Palm Beach, uh, one of, my, one of the, the people on the staff, the church administrator, was a, a dear man from Togo. Uh, and, and he and I would have all these great conversations about Togolese culture. And he told me one time something that was just like super interesting and fascinating. Uh, in Togo, uh, the, the, the different, you know, ethnic groups worship many, many different gods. Uh, and so it's culturally normative for them in Togo when a child is born for them to have a name associated with the particular deities that their family uh, prioritizes and worships. Uh, but when somebody becomes a Christian in Togo, what ends up happening is they're at baptism, they're given a new name. They're given a Christian name. And that is the name that they use from that point forward. They're no longer called by their Togolese name that's associated with the deity. Uh, they're now called by their Christian name. Uh, and so this particular man, now he was particularly born to Christian parents. Uh, and so at birth, he was given the name Quadzo, uh, which means born on Monday, uh, right? They didn't want to give him a name associated with the deities, and so they called him born on Monday. Uh, but his Christian name was Pascal. Uh, and the reason that his Christian name was Pascal is because he wasn't just born on any Monday. He was born on Easter Monday. He was born on the Monday after Easter. And so, uh, so it, the, the French word for Easter is Paquet or something like that. Uh, Pax, pa, Pasque, 
ask Aaron to correct my pronunciation of the French. Um, and so his name was Pascal. But interestingly, his mother-in-law became a Christian later in life. Uh, and so she gave up her Togolese name when she was an adult, and her Christian name was Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene, the follower of Jesus. So here the Lord is giving Abraham and Sarah new names because he is changing their identity. Abram is no longer just going to be this exalted father who has no children. Excuse me, Abram is no longer going to be this exalted father who has no children. He is now going to be Abraham, the father of multitudes of people, including those of us here today who have faith in Jesus Christ. Sarai is no longer going to be barren Sarai. She is now going to be Sarah, the princess who gives birth to kings. Right? And so think of the significance of that when we realize that, first of all, Jesus is the king of all kings. And then secondly to that, when we see in the book of Peter that you and I, those of us who claim to follow Jesus Christ, are a royal priesthood, right? That there is this, Sarah is now the, the mother of this royal group of people who represent the Lord. Their identity is being changed. So, so it's a change of, uh, God changes names because he has the authority. God changes names because he wants to change identity. And God changes names because he wants to change the status of the individual. Abraham, Abram and Sarah will no longer be this shame-filled couple who were unable to have children, right? Because remember, we looked at this, and in that culture, it would have been a very shameful thing for them to be that old and have had no children. The stigma that they lived with would have been, would have been really, really heavy. Now they have a new status. They are going to be the, the, the father and mother of a nation and we now know on the other side of the cross, not just the father and mother of a nation, but the father and mother of all of the people who have faith in Jesus Christ in a very real and spiritual way. Now, um, what does this have to do with us? So we are given, the church is given a name. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Paul writes this. He says, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And so you see, what, what Paul is saying here is that our brothers and sisters who have preceded us in death and are now in heaven, uh, and, and us here today, and our, our descendants who will follow us in death, right? We are all one family, and that one family has one name, and that name is the family of God. And Paul goes on to say this. He says, I pray then, just right after, he, two verses later, he says, I pray then that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of God's holy people to grasp how wide and long, high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of all of the fullness of Christ. Uh, Harbor City Church, if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been given a new name. 
the Father speaks a new name over you, and he speaks that name over you because, first, he's the, he has the authority to do that, right? He is the Father. He is the Heavenly Father. But he speaks that new name over you because he also wants to change your identity so that you can understand that you are now his daughters and sons. And he speaks that name over you so you can understand the new status that you have as the royal priesthood, the holy temple that the Lord is establishing here on earth to point everybody to the glory of who he is. Like, that's insane. That's amazing. And that's all baked into this scene that happened thousands of years ago where the Lord appears to this elderly man and elderly woman who had been desperately hoping for 20, well, longer than 24 years, but, you know, the spark reemerges when the promise comes, had been 24 years waiting, and it will be another year before God makes good on his promise. The Lord calls Abraham and Sarah, he calls you and me to hold on to his promises while we wait on him. And the reason that we can do that is because he's revealed himself to us as El Shaddai. He has revealed himself to us as the God who keeps his promises. And the reason we can trust him is because we're here today because he made good on his promise to Abraham. Right? If he had not kept his promise to Abraham, you and I would be doing many other things right now. But he kept his promise to Abraham. And in keeping his promise to Abraham, he has given us a new identity. Our identity now is the people of God. Right? The family of God, his daughters and his sons, the royal priesthood that he has called to be in this world. And so... Uh, we, we, we walk by faith, and sometimes means, that means that we wait by faith. And as we wait by faith, we know that El Shaddai will keep his promises because he's the God of promises. That's his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for revealing yourself to us this morning as El Shaddai. Uh, thank you that you have kept your promises uh, to Abraham, that all of your promises that you made uh, find their yes and amen in, uh, in your son Jesus. Uh, Lord, help us now as we sing uh, these words. Our faith is feeble. We confess. Uh, thank you, Lord, that the refrain is heal us. Uh, Emmanuel, heal us. Let's sing together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.